Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the name above all names. You are the blessed Redeemer. My, you are the rescue of sinners. And you are the ransom from heaven. Lord, you are the Lord of all. And I pray, Father, may our heart, may our hope really be in you. And I pray that these truths would be translated into the reality of full throttle lives for you. Lord, I pray that the reality of these truths be translated into us being a full throttle church for you, for your glory. Help us to learn how to do and be that better today. May your name be lifted high. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you're grabbing your seat over here on the left side of the auditorium, there's the red and black friendship register over there. If you would go ahead and pick that up and just pass that all the way down, that would be great. And as uh, Paul had mentioned earlier, you can uh, mark to sign up for the party with the pastors and things in there, but we're just grateful you're here and would love to be able to pray for you this week as well if there are some things we can be praying for. Well, we are right now in our fourth Sunday of a 12-week series through the letter to Titus, and uh, we're learning about what it looks like, what it takes to be a full-throttle church for Jesus Christ. We're learning that because Paul had left Titus in the island or on the island of Crete, and uh, he had left him there, as in Titus chapter 1, verse 4, it said to put some things in order. And uh, in the churches that were started on the island of Crete, uh, Titus was about doing that, putting some things together in order. And it's very interesting in Titus 1 that it actually, it all starts with Paul reminding him, listen, Titus, first thing I want for you to be after is about putting leadership in place. And we've been keying in on this because, and I've been spending far, frankly, far more normal than I would of time, amount of time on this text for the purpose of where we're at as a church and the things that are taking place here. And listen, if a church is going to be full throttle for Christ, it requires that a church have leadership that's full throttle for Christ. It's just paramount. Many of you know what it's like to be part of a church where that's not the case. And so that is why we're just spending the added time in this passage just so that we together can be able to understand and get more and more what all of that means. Well, last Sunday, we went through verses 6 through 9, the beginning of verse 9, and we talked about 14 life traits that uh, uh, follow or are to fit with uh, a guy who's to serve as an elder in a church. And one of those, actually, that's not up here, was he, is he kind of the umbrella term is, is he's to be above reproach. But let's go back through these 14, if you can remember. The first two, after talking about an elder, the first one, anybody remember what that is? A one-woman man. We got a one-woman man and, and with embracing Christ kids. Paul is talking with Titus about, listen, that's the kind of guy we want to have. It's so interesting to me. It starts in the home. And as we know, in our culture, in politics, in our world, so often it's kind of like this. Oh, listen, private life doesn't, 
pay him any implications on public life. Scripture would say, not true. In fact, what's going on is the, in the home is paramount. So he talks about that from the term with elder. The term elder has a Jewish context, a Jewish heritage to it. It has this idea of it that it, uh, it's talking about uh, um, age and maturity. It's used in the Old Testament kind of as the title for it. But there's the spiritual maturity of the person, and it has to start in their home. has to start in their home. And then it starts moving. Paul picks the word overseer. The word overseer is a Greek Gentile word heritage to it. It has an emphasis of leader. And I think on purpose, Paul is putting this other word in there. So in essence, he's saying, listen, we need spiritually mature, spiritually experienced, dignified, mature men who can serve, whose homes are like this. And we need leaders that are not like five things and are like seven things. The five, the first one that we had started out was not heads strong, not the mafia dude. It's not hot-headed, not a wine lingerer, not a bully, not greedy. Those are the kinds of things that a spiritual leader is not to be. Listen, you do not want a leader that's like that. Anywhere, right? In your job at work, I mean, who wants a guy like that? And some of you know you have a boss where he or she has some of those traits. And it's hard, isn't it? It is hard. Well, it doesn't just hit on the not what nots. It also hits on seven what to do's. So over here, we start out with he is a helper of people. This is a trade in his life. He's all about all that is good. He's on target. The word is talking, as we talked last week, it's so much in here. He is purpose. He knows where he's going. He's purpose. He's driven that way. And everything runs through that funnel of interior mind-setting truth and purpose. And then he's a reflector. It's the outside part of it. Not only is it all in here, but it's out here. And it's not out here for you to be able to see me, for you to be able to see the person. It's out here because that person wants for people to be able to see Christ in and through them. And then they're set apart. The term is holy. Again, I want to remind you on this. We even had the word today in there. There are just uh, times when you think of holy, just automatically think of set apart. Why is God holy? Because he is perfect. Because he is sinless. Because he is God. Therefore, he is holy. He is set apart from everything else. He is set apart. And this person is to be someone who their life trait is set apart. Not perfect. Okay, we know that can't be the case. Uh, Not perfect, but set apart, held in check. The kind of guy who is regularly thinking through, is this a trade in my life? How am I doing now? This month, this week, man, that situation that just happened where I just really struggled or I really kind of lost control. Wait, what, what should I have done? Do I need to go back and make this correct? That's a person who is thinking it through and is willing to be held in check themselves as well as other people holding them in check. And last, Velcro to truth, where we're going to go in verse 9 and spend some more time. But before we do that, I want for you just to look at this list. Can I say two things? One, as I said last week, this list scares me. Because the truth of the matter is, is this is to be traits of my life because of my role here. It Fear and trembling. And only by a big God. This list also just reminds all of us of the high standards. 
Listen, this is about God's church. This is about God's churches. And listen, he died for it. He shed his blood for it. It's his church. And his church requires men who are going to be leaders that are going to be above reproach because it's his church. And so often the mistake is made to where let's look around and find who's the best looking, who's the most popular, who's the best public speaker, who's the most wealthy, who's the most successful, who's the most this. Put them in that position. And it's like all the biblical reality so often gets lost. No wonder there's a lot of struggles in church today. But I just want to tell you again, the reason we are spending the time in this, friends, is this is serious here. And harvest takes leadership serious. And this is the kind of thing that we're working on, and you need to be keeping this in mind too, because here in some weeks, I'm going to be presenting to you, Lord willing, a couple guys that we're looking to have elders here, and part of your job is going to literally, you as part of this church, have the responsibility to be sitting back and going, are those guys within this? And if not, you have the responsibility to be talking with them about it. Now it's getting personal. This is big deal stuff. I want for you to know about that. Well, this isn't the end of the list. This is, list goes on. I will say this though. This is the kind of list where I go, I want to follow a guy like that. I want a guy like this to be leading the church where I'm a part of. There's four more things I'm going to break out for us today in one verse, in verse 9. So grab your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 9. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some people around that will let you borrow one. But chapter 1, verse 9. Paul is writing to Titus, verses 1 and 4. He's left him in Crete to put what remained in order. Verse 5, he gives him the qualifications of a leader that we covered last week. Verses 6 through the beginning of 9. Let's pick up in verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught. That's where we talk about Velcroed to truth. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's it. Man, those of you who have been here for a while are just like, man, Doug, have you turned into someone totally different? You're like doing a verse at a time kind of for the whole morning. Uh, But I'm having a blast with this one. And this one has some stuff we need to camp on for about 15 minutes. So here we go. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. I want to make some comments on some of the words. The word he. (laughs) Told you I'm going to break it out. The word he. Who's the word he talking about? Well, in the context, it's talking about the elder. It's talking about the overseer. That's the he that's being talked about here. He, an elder, an overseer, must hold firmly. That's the word that has the idea behind it of clinging to something, devoted to something. That's what I was talking about, Velcroed to something. That's in our day and age, we think of Velcro. It's where they're to be Velcroed, conk, and Velcro, just the hook and whatever that other stuff is, and just a, they're to be, what do they be Velcroed to? What does it say? To truth. Okay, they're to be Velcroed to the trustworthy word is taught. Another way of translating that, breaking that out a little bit more, is saying, to that which is according to the teaching of the faithful word. Please understand this. This is not saying that this guy is a great teacher. What this is actually saying is this guy is a great student. This is somebody 
who loves having the word penetrate his life, who welcomes it, who is a student of truth. He's Velcroed to the trustworthy word as taught. A leader in the church must be a man that clings himself to the Bible. The Bible is his source of truth. He submits to it. He doesn't shape the Bible. The Bible shapes him. What the Bible is about is what he is about. Two points here out of this. He needs to be a biblical truth knowing man. He needs to be a biblical truth knowing man. Someone that dedicates themselves to growing and knowing the scriptures. They aren't the necessarily the, the seminary professor, so I'm not that. But it's the kind of person who is engaged in studying the truth, who's knowing it, growing in it, along with this idea, has the idea that he's a biblical truth living man. Because it's not just about knowing. When it talks about he must hold firmly to the trustworthy word is taught, it's not only saying that he's a student of the word, but he's a student of the word in such a capacity that it changes his life. It's lived out. You see, if someone's knowing but not living, we call that a hypocrite. And I don't know about you, but aren't you just tired of hypocrisy? This is the type of person where you look at them and you go, you know, hypocrisy does not characterize their life. They're not just about knowing, but they're about living. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word is taught. Why? Two reasons why. Number one, that he may give instruction in sound doctrine. The word instruction here, when you and I hear that, we pretty much automatically think of what's going on right now. Me teaching you. We think of a classroom. We think of school. We think of college. We think of, you know, in business where you've got to be pulled into the meeting area and, and you're told a bunch of stuff. Uh, th- that is part of it. There is a public reality to this. But understand this. The word that's used here clearly carries this idea of, well, uh, emphasis on the coming alongside of people. And here with this word, it's really talking, coming alongside to urge, to exhort, and to comfort. This isn't just the kind of person that gives instruction to where it's like, now I want to give you instruction because you are a bunch of knuckleheads. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a person that instructs who comes alongside. And he comes alongside with what? With sound doctrine. Another way of reading that would be, would be is with healthy truths. Listen, not human ideas. You did not come here to hear my ideas. Who cares? Literally, who cares? This is not talking about a person that can come alongside someone who's knowing it, living it, and could come alongside and give human ideas or tell what he thinks or talk. Maybe he has incredible life experiences, and so he's all about telling you about his wisdom of the things that he's learned out of his life experiences or her life experiences, and they come alongside a person and just say, let me tell you all of my experiences. That's not what this text is talking about. This is talking about somebody who's knowing and living the word of God and comes alongside people in such a way that he that she brings biblical truth into it. Listen, a person that's not knowing Scripture and a person that's not living Scripture is a person that's not capable of being able to teach others Scripture in real life. So it's not only that there be knowing and living, but there be a biblical truth ministering man. A biblical truth ministering. We follow these. I can know things, but I don't have to live it. 
But God wants us to be knowing it and living it. I can know things and I can live it, but I don't have to minister to other people. And I just want to even take a moment to challenge you. If you know Christ as your Savior, God has called you to be a person that ministers to other people. Are you? Are you? I'm just going to ask straight up. I love you. Do you care? This is one of my greatest concerns today in this country. We are so self-centered as a culture. I mean, that's sin and pride. It's everywhere. But I live here. We live here. We are so self-centered. It's like, why should I care about anybody else? I've got enough problems of my own. Um, understand, there are times where we need to key in on issues going on in our lives, to listen to me. There are times that we have to, we, have to, we should have uh, this constant desire to want to be helping people. My goodness, what if Christ had that mindset? Knowing and living and ministering, man. But it doesn't stop there. And the second reason as to why he's to be a, a one who holds firmly to the trustworthy word is taught, so that he may rebuke those who contradict it. The person that's Velcroed to truth has the ability to pick out untruth. They pick it out and they're coming along, not coming alongside to chew out and beat up and to just be arrogant and a big mouth. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about someone who's willing to come alongside to pick out truth and is willing to stand up for truth. Think of these things in the context of leaders in a local church, folks. This is the kind of stuff that we want. We want leaders in this church that are the kind of men. We want people in this church that are the kind of men. We want women in this church that are the kind of women who are knowing Scripture, growing in it, who are living it. They're the real deal that are serious about caring, about ministering it. Yeah, but Doug, I don't know a whole lot about, about the Bible. Yeah, but Doug, I don't know all these. Listen, who cares? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what the tickets are. Jesus told the, 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 the demon-possessed man, go home and tell them what the Lord has done. Yeah, but I haven't been to Bible 101 yet. Yeah, but I haven't been to this yet. I haven't been. No, just go home and tell them what Jesus has done in your life. And this is the kind of thing where we need to be biblical, knowing and living and ministering. And here we need to be biblical, truth-protecting men and women. As I said last week, these qualifications are not just about a couple who were those couple, once they meet this thing, however that barometer is all of a sudden hit, it's like, bing, the, the ding light goes off, and it's like, okay, now you're an elder. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about Titus. Listen, when you go around and you look in places, and you're in the churches that are scattered around Crete, and you're looking in a city to find leaders for the church that's in that city, listen, you look for men that are like this. By the way, note, the text does not then say put every man who is that in that role, by the way. But look for men. That's what it is. Appoint men who are like this. And this church, as I mentioned last week, oh, my word, my prayer is that we would have hundreds of men, hundreds of women in this church that are all pursuing after this kind of life. And listen, we look at that kind of stuff and go, what? That's like no way. Again, as I mentioned last week, Yahweh, uh, Yahweh, yeah, way. It can be because otherwise God is cruel. 
if God is saying these kinds of things cannot be met, but look for these kinds of traits in a person, then it's like, what's the deal with God? No, this is the deal. Humbly, these are about men. This is about, in the big context of women who are pursuing after these kinds of traits. And I've been praying that this last week, that this week, you would be the kind of man, you would be the kind of woman that would be picking up what one, what two areas on there do I need to be working on? Clearly, the context of the passage is talking about this idea of biblical truth, knowing, living, ministering, and protecting men. By the way, we're going to be talking uh, next week more on this protecting reality. I also want to note two things out of the text. They're all present active tense words. That means that it's not the kind of thing that done once and over. What it means is it's a continuous living present reality. It's present continuous. It's now, it's ongoing. Someone who is continuously knowing, continuously living, continuously pursuing after ministering, continuously pursuing after protecting the truth. Second item just to notice is, you notice again, as I've mentioned earlier, there's nothing about Bible trivia winners. There's nothing about the who's the best speaker publicly. There's nothing about the guys with the degrees and even the titles. Paul reminds Titus to appoint men to the office of elder overseer that meet the listed qualifications, including biblical truth, knowing, living, ministering, and protecting men. That's verses 5 through 9. Now, I said it could jump into verse 10, but I don't want to do that. I want to pause here because of where we're at as a church, and I want to take some time to answer what I think are probably some likely questions with where we're at. If you've been around for a while, every so often we will have what we call kind of a family chat. And if you will, this is kind of part of that. Because I think out of this text is a church that's in the process of putting leadership together here, uh, there's some questions that I want for you to know about or to seek to answer for you. Listen, friends, we're a church that's 18 months old. About 450 people here are coming on Sundays. It just kind of varies ever since the summer. I still can't figure that number out yet. But we're somewhere around there and people from all different kinds of backgrounds. And this is the time to where as we pursue to this step, this is so important and I want for you to understand what's taking place and the whys. That's why I've been spending all this time for the last two weeks and even today on this. So here's what I'm going to do, three things. I want to summarize what we've learned from verses 5 through 9. And then I want to answer some likely questions and then I want to let you know where we're at in the process, okay? So a little bit of a switch here. Text to family chat. Both working together. Let me, what have we learned here? What have we learned here so far? I think there's six key words for me that come out of verses five through nine. First word is leadership. First word is leadership. The local church has leadership. God has designed his local church to have leadership. There is to be a governance. There is to be a structure. He didn't create the church and then just like let it go willy-nilly. God's created his church and he's designed it to be able to have leadership. Titus, go and appoint elders. Second word, local. Local leadership. We see over and over again in Acts and here in this 
in this text, he says, go and appoint elders in every town. Listen, we cannot miss that. Combined with Acts 14, 23, we looked at a couple weeks ago where it talks about saying, and going, he went and appointed leaders in every church. It's this idea that within the church, in each local church, there is this leadership there. Third word, plurality. It's not about one guy at the helm. We don't see in local churches in the scripture where one guy is the guy. And I just say that because oftentimes in many churches there is the theology, there is the thinking that the senior pastor is the elder. I don't see that in the scripture. We see a plurality of elders. We see multiple elders in a place. That's a wisdom reality and a truth reality. Leadership, local plurality, and forth qualified. We spent last week and touched on it here this week. There's high standards for these leaders in a local church. And as I mentioned, it's important for you to know what's going on here. And it's important for you to understand it's not about being a part of the select divine few. This is about being a place that's pursuing after and being these characteristics, being a part of who we are and having leaders that it's like, man, I just want to, I'm so thrilled about being able to follow those kinds of guys. I also just want to say qualified leaders are the kind of leaders that are accountable. Listen to me. I've already multiple times had the question, so how do we keep these guys accountable? Can I say this? By getting the right kind of guys. When you have men who are living what we talked about earlier, who are thinking and living and have a pattern of it, and you have a plurality of them together, listen, they're not going to be able to put Christ's church on the line for foolishness. Within themselves, as the senior pastor, and part of that, it's the kind of thing, yeah, but how are they going to stand up to Doug? Simple, because they're men that will do that. They're men about truth. They're men about Christ. They're men about his church. And this is a group of men who are getting the kind of men who are going to be the kind of men who are not going to allow ridiculousness to come in place. And when it does, it's handled. And why is it handled? Because they're the kind of men that know, live, minister, and protect. And so often we bring our culture into the text and work it out in the kind of way where we don't see that pattern. And these are qualified men, so important, so important, and so important for you, as, as, as I mentioned in weeks here coming and considering. Listen, are these guys, as far as you know, are these guys that fit those qualifications? Fifth word, shepherding. It's interesting that in this text, the word for shepherding is used. There's three words that describe the elder overseer, shepherd. Really three different terms for those. All of those kind of hitting the same role in three different perspectives. Paul doesn't use it in Titus. He uses it in other passages. But listen, I just want to tell you, as you read the passage, you see all the shepherding going on. Listen, Titus, you look for guys that are the kind of guys that include this reality of shepherding guys part of it. It's leadership. It's local leadership, plurality of leadership, qualified leadership, shepherding leadership, and the sixth word is team. You're going to see this more as we continue in the passages ahead, um, especially in chapter two. Chapter one is just all about full throttle leadership. Chapter two is all all about full throttle people in a church. And as we see these two coming together, this is about team. The church body holds Christ and its leadership in high esteem, and the leadership holds Christ and his church in high esteem. 
That's what we've learned. At least that's how I would term it in six words in the last three weeks. So number two, as we appoint elders, what are some likely questions? Well, here's one. Who serves as on the eldership team here at Harvest Bible Chapel, Indy West? Well, a handful of men that meet the qualifications of an elder and are best qualified, best gifted fit for the office. As I stated last Sunday, the desire here is to have hundreds of men meeting these qualifications. And yet there are other aspects that just come into the reality of it, like life situations. Are they looking to be around here for a period of time or they may be moving? Are there health issues? Are there family needs? They may be meeting the qualifications, but they're newer here. Or they don't fully know the harvest DNA or maybe aren't fully buying into the harvest philosophy of how we go about doing ministry. Another is just the gifting reality. I'm going to tell you, you get guys in a room like that and yet some of them just stand out as the kind of guys who have the leadership reality component to it. These are the foundational or those 14, 15 traits are the foundational things. And yet there's other things, wisdom things that come into the picture of it. That's who will serve here. How many elders? Well, Harvest Church our size, and if you don't know, we're the 25th church plant of Harvest Bible Chapel out of Chicago. Right now, I think they're about ready. We've got another one or two being launched today uh, and next week, and uh, by the, I think by the end of this year, there's going to be 50 Harvest Churches around the world. And so part of what's going on is as we look at our church, we're not our own little churches doing our own little thing. Part of it is, is that with Harvest Churches our size, there's generally three to five elders why not more? I'd answer that by saying a wisdom issue. Listen, I've been part of churches where the leadership team, typically in the past, has been the deacons and the pastoral staff, consists of anywhere from uh, 18 to 30 guys. And I'm just going to tell you, it's really hard. It's really just hard to function with that many. And it's a wisdom thing in harvest, just the harvest DNA overall. Is, is, listen, this isn't a corporate board, and I'm also going to add this isn't a voting board. This is a board, uh, this is a board, or I'm going to be calling it the elder team. This is an elder team of a handful of guys that are there together that can be tight together. Let me show you, how, or I'll tell you, I'll explain to you that. I think you'll catch the picture of that in just a little bit. But another question, what about the pastoral staff? Where they serve on the elder team? Uh, no. Well, Doug, that was mean. That was rude. Uh, no. Listen, the norm is, is that at a harvest church, is the pastoral staff does not. Why? Well, one, frankly, there sometimes can become a conflict of interest. Secondly, on top of that, is that not all guys on the pastoral staff are gifted to be able to be in that kind of a place. Meeting the qualifications, all of them are to be required to be meeting the qualifications. And they're doing elderly-like shepherding, just as you would, just as we would. They happen to be in a vocational role. And they, have the, they get to be able to do that and have that vocational role. But it may be if we get really large, if the Lord would have that be the case, there might be one or two, but that would be about it. Uh, I work with the pastors. We run the daily affairs of the ministry. It's not like the elder, you know, the elder team sits around and we talk about the daily affairs of everything. That's our job as pastors. Let, let me, what do they do? Let me bring this in. Let me help by explaining meeting. I think this is going to help you. Here's the plan. I don't know if you're used to it, but most uh, leadership meetings are comprised of once a month for about 28 hours. Um, with elder team here, the plan is, is we'll be meeting uh, three out of four weeks. We'll be meeting one time every week, three out of four weeks. 
probably be a couple hours. It'll probably look like this. If it's around a dinner time or, say, Saturday morning, we don't know yet. I don't know when that'll be. We'll eat together, uh, discuss through a passage of Scripture together. We may start just working through the Psalms. We may just start going through Proverbs where we're just going to read text together and just savor it, enjoy it, and talk it together. We're looking uh, to, in this first year, I'm looking to have us read through some books together while we meet on what is an elder. How does that look and discuss and work it out so that we together are becoming a team and, and a unified together working this out here in our ministry here. Yes, there's other Harvest churches that have it, but we want to continue to be a team building it together. We're going to have a dedicated time of prayer, not a closing prayer, but a dedicated time of prayer, knee kind of prayer time. And part of it then is there's going to be working on some church items. I hope out of this you get the idea that this isn't a board meeting. This is a team of guys who get together, who are rubbing shoulders, sharpening one another, laying themselves before the Lord, being the kind of guys that are also in it, talking about issues, but yet not in a rush on things. By the way, or Lord willing, hopefully it'll be to where actually the second week the elders' wives come together. And we talk, and we're going to have Scripture, and we're going to pray together. Listen, I am so looking forward to this. I cannot tell you I'm looking forward to it. And I hope you just, I hope in your mind you go, oh man, I wish I could be there. Because I can't wait. I hope you get a sense of team. So what does a harvest elder do? Three things in harvest. Doctrine, discipline, and direction. What do deacons do? Finances, facilities, and benevolence. Those are the key words out of any harvest church you go around. They lead the church in Doctrine. They lead the church and body in truth. I'm going to be covering more in that in the coming week. Uh, they lead the church in dealing with problems in a church. Listen, problems have to be dealt with. There's a whole bunch of sinners, like 450 of them. And when you have that, you have problems. You have things that come up. And part of their job is to be involved in that. Matthew 18 talks about that. It's a restoration process. Third, about direction. This is such a key part. Leading the church as to its ministry directions as well as the functional and facility and so forth directions of things. They're kind of key there. By the way, what do they not do? Uh, they do not vote. I'm just going to say, here at Harvest, we do leadership, if you will, by consensus. In other words, it's not a three against five, therefore you lose, and you're out. That's not what's going on. It's the kind of thing, and just briefly explain, if there's something that comes up and we're talking in it, and I'm just like, man, guys, I love you, but I'm just, I'm really struggling. I'm just not comfortable with this. I prayed over this. I searched the scriptures. I'm just not comfortable with this. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, dude, you know, we respect one another enough that we look, and it's like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's just pray about that. Let's think about that some more. And we come together again, and we bring it up again. Where are we at? You know, I don't know with what's going on. And yet, sometimes some things are going to come down and say, you know, okay, well, Doug, what's your biblical reason for us not doing that? Well, I don't know if I have one. Well, Doug, listen, this is where we really believe we ought to go. And over some time, when we get to the place, and it's like, you know what, guys, I, I can't come down to the reason as to why not. So, you know what, I'm in full throttle 100% together, team. What about deacons? Uh, deacons assist the elders with finances, facilities, and benevolence. Again, for some of you, this, some of this stuff, I know your backgrounds, is probably just blowing you out of your brains. 
But I would ask you, go back to the scriptures and look what the scriptures say about these. And for me, I am jazzed about this. Far more comfortable with what's going on. And with deacons, listen, they are not meeting deacons. They are serving deacons. In fact, the deacons really will not have deacon meetings. They're dedicated ministry liaisons that have responsibility for specific ministry task elders. The plan right now is probably the beginning of next year after we get elders in place and our feet on the ground and going, we'll be looking for three deacons, just three. One whose main responsibility will be in deaconing, serving over in the area of finances, another who will be over facilities, and another who will be over benevolence. And they're working with one of the elders. And they then have a responsibility to be pull, or opportunity to be pulling other people in. This isn't about just a little quiet few. This is about team. So the person with the finances will definitely be working with Eric just because of so much of the work that Eric does right now with that. And they may be pulling in some others. And with benevolence, I cannot wait till we get to the place to where we have some of this together, where we have some other people whose heart passions have the gift of mercy and just really want to be reaching out and helping with that. But they're not going to be meeting together, so it's not this, uh, it's not this multiple leadership teams that coming in conflict. It's about team, full throttle. Look at the bobsled. That's what we're talking. Unique positions, unique places. Everybody cranking it out. Everybody thrilled because this is full throttle out learning how to streamline it effectively and wisely for Christ. So where are we at third in this appointing process? Well, Lord willing, hope to appoint two lay elders in October, end of October, November. We're right now, as I mentioned, talking with them. They filled out their elder applications. I've sent those up to Harvest Bible Fellowship in Chicago. We're going to be setting up interviews, one with myself and them. Each of them will be setting up elder uh, interviews with uh, uh, probably Kent Shaw or possibly some others as well from Harvest up there. Uh, Maybe in person, it may be by Skype. Um, And I think the guys are scared to death about it. (laughs) Uh, Lord willing... Uh, They'll be in place in November or October, as I mentioned, uh, hoping to have uh, Harvest uh, come down, and they're going to be doing some training with us, as well as appointing them in on a Sunday. We'll have a dedication, kind of a service for that. Lord willing, we'll be appointing elders in the first part of 2010. Then very possibly in 2011, we'll look to be appointing another one or two elders. in 2011, about a year and a half from now, that's midway through kind of the three-year cycle, a serving schedule for them. By the way, with that, it's three years. After, as we come up to the three years, be a time where we sit down and we talk, and there can be a ramp off at that time, but they're also with it, uh, can continue on. It's not a term for life, and yet it's not a three years and off. I just don't see the uh, scriptural basis for that. But if the Lord's using and they're there, man, we want to keep the team rolling. Well, I hope that answers some questions. I hope that raises some questions. I want you thinking. I want you thinking. Because here's one of the cool things. God has actually given some level of freedom in all of this. Because God could have very clearly sat down and said, this is exactly how a church service is supposed to go. This is exactly how uh, a leadership meetings are supposed to go. How many guys, for depending upon the size of church, God could have done that. He's clear on some things. And yet he's given freedom on some things. And I'm so looking forward to this.
Well, here's what we're going to do. This is so important to us here. Um, I've asked some of our small group leaders to pray. So small group leaders, would you just, those of you who I've asked to uh, come up and pray, would you come on up and get in place? We're going to close our service out differently today. I've been doing almost this mini series within this series, uh, keying in on leadership. And so we're going to end the service today uh, coming before the Lord and praying. And so I've asked them to come and each of them just to pray for uh, some different things, specific things. And so for the next uh, five, eight minutes here, we're going to take some time and pray. Come before the Lord together as a church. Because listen, full throttle, baby. I really mean that. I want for this place to be a place that glorifies Christ, that blows our minds away what God could do with people like us. Just normal people like us. And one of the things the scripture says is that we pray. One of our pillars here at Harvest is we believe firmly in the power of prayer. So we don't do this just because it's cute. We don't do this because of a willy-nilly hope. We do this because we believe that when God's people pray, God comes after So would you do this? Would you stand?